You're listening to Crosspoint Community Church in LaGrange, Texas podcast. To learn more about Crosspoint Community Church, including service times and how you can connect, please visit crosspointchurchtx.org. Amy, you mean there's no perfect people? Man. Nobody. How many of y'all are messy today? Yeah, all right. Very good. Very good. The rest of you, we'll get you some coffee and uh, you'll find it. Man, listen, I, one of the things I was thinking about burdens this week, uh, I was in a northern city in Texas this week. And uh, when I was there, one of the things I did one morning, I made the mistake of turning on the news. And uh, when I turned on the news, they were given the traffic report. There was one little section on this one highway, and it was going to take someone to get from point A to point B in just that little section, an extra 135 minutes. For you mathematicians, that's two hours and 15 minutes. That's a long time to sit. I was like, man, I would be remote working. Can you imagine if that happened at 77 and 71 during round top week? It's not 135 minutes now. Listen, it may be like five and a half. But man alive, yeah, that's a burden you don't have to worry about, all right? So this morning we're continuing our series entitled One Another, and we're thinking about this idea of what does it look like for us to, what are we to one another? This is a moment in the series where we're really pulling back the curtain on what it looks like or what it should look like to live in community within a New Testament Christian church. And as we began the series, we talked about who are we to one another and that we're, we're a family, we're a building, and that we're also a body. And those are the images that, that are given to us as kind of this big overview of what we're to be to one another. And over these next few weeks, we've been working out what does it look like in smaller segments to be that body, to be that family, to be that building of Christ for one another. And that if we are unified, right, there's a lot of things that can divide us. But if we, if we are unified around the one thing that matters most, who is the person of Jesus Christ, and that we are one anothering together, that the community will see us and say, I want that. And I think even more so in our culture, the community, the culture that's divided over all kinds of different things. One community gathered together around the person of Christ and moving together would be an unstoppable force for change and transformation in the hearts and lives of people. So this morning, we're going to be thinking about this idea of what does it look like for us to one another to carry one another's burdens. And I know even as we walk into a place like this, people say, hi, how are you doing? And you've heard me say, whenever we say, hey, how are you doing? Most of us say, good, fine, whatever. You smile. And internally, though, many times we're thinking, man, I got a lot of stuff and I just put on a mask. I'm not fine in this moment. There are moments that we are, right? But many times we come into a place like this and we put on a mask because we're supposed to come to church and everything's supposed to be okay. We've learned, unlearned what the truth is. We're supposed to be able to come to community and not be okay. To be real with one another, to be authentic. If there's any place in the world where we can gather and be truly authentic with one another, it is in a place like this where somebody knows your name. Not like cheers, but that someone can say, hey, Chris, 
And they know you and still love you. And that most of us, most of our neighbors don't have that. And we'll never have that. But in Christ, all the stuff that doesn't add up adds up in Christ that we can do life together. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be looking at Galatians chapter 6 and then also a couple other places. If you have notes, the notes are already there. It tells you where we're going to be. So follow along in those different places. So y'all learned this word recently, alelon, right, which means one another, the idea of family building body that what we are to one another. Galatians chapter 6 verse 2. Share each other's burdens. And this is the way that we obey the law of Christ. And the law of Christ is pretty simple. The law of Christ is this. Love the Lord your God with all of your being. Love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. This is pretty simple. We're not very good at it. And the reason that we love our neighbor as ourself is it's an example of how we love God. So share each other's burdens as you're living out this thing of loving God and loving your neighbor. And if you think you are too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself. You are not that important. In other words, you're not that cleaned up. You don't have it all together. Most of the time, the reason we don't step into other people's mess is because we're burdened by our own burdens. And we think that we make a judgment on someone else's behalf that they can't understand our burdens. Our burdens are more than their burdens. And so therefore, why would we want to put our stuff on someone else's stuff? But that's what community is, is to share each other's burdens. That word share, bastazo, literally means to share, bear, carry, pick up, or this good old word, tote. Right? So you get to tote someone else's stuff. So imagine, I mean, you're, you're walking with someone and someone comes to you and they say, hey, how are you doing? And they say, not good. What are they doing? They're dropping off their tote and you get to pick it up. That's powerful imagery, isn't it? Of like, listen, I, I'm going to carry this with you and for you for a little bit because you need rest. And if we're priests to one another, that's in this moment where we're being community together and one priest to another is saying, I'm not doing well. I'm dropping off my tote. Will you carry these burdens with me? And then what are these burdens? It's a heavy weight or a stone, baros, an oppression, a heaviness on you and the hardships and burdens of life. And see, it's interesting for us because we can see the outward burdens that people carry. We can see some of those things, but most of the heavy burdens that we carry are internal, soul, intellectual, mental, internal things that we carry that no one knows. And we carry them, and the scripture tells us that it literally eats away at the marrow of our bones, the weight of the oppression of the burdens. And so the life is being sucked out from us by the invisible things that we carry, and we've bought into the lie that this is mine and mine alone. When scripture tells us, when God tells us, when Jesus tells us, the good news is you don't have to carry that on your own anymore. One, he carries it, but one to each other, we help carry it. And that's the beauty of community. But we've bought into some of these other things and we don't do life together. We are the most well-known Facebook, Instagrammed, you've got ten friends, woo-hoo, but no one knows you. That's how most of us live. So the first thing that I want you to get this morning is you're to carry 
one another's burdens. That we're to walk next to someone and be able to say, hey, listen, I'm going to share with you. I'm going to bear with you. I'm going to carry. I'm going to pick up. I'm going to tote your burdens because you're going to tote mine at some time. And I think about this passage in Matthew chapter 5 where Jesus is asked a question of, of some different things. And he says, listen, if for your enemies, what we're supposed to do is to, if your enemy walks up or a soldier walks up and says, please carry my pack. It wasn't, it was a demand of them. You carried the pack. And the requirement by law was one mile. And Jesus says, carry it too. So if we're to carry and tote the burdens of our enemies, how much more so should we carry and tote the burdens of one another? Because let's be honest. Just because you know Christ and he's transforming you doesn't mean you don't have stuff. Maybe. Because you know Christ, one of the things that he does so that there can be healing is he brings things to light. And so maybe some of the burdens are the things that he's brought to light that you've just been living with. And now the great healer is shining a light because he wants you to be free. But to be free, you've got to let it be healed. And that together, that's how that happens. So Mark chapter 14. They went to the olive grove called Gethsemane. So now here's, here's, I wanted to get you an image of, of what this looks like, physically looks like. And so the Mount of Olives is a mount or a big hill, okay? And so at the top of Mount Olives, Mount of Olives, there's olive groves. So they're growing trees. And as you're at the top of Mount Olives, you're, if you have a really good arm, it could maybe four, five, six throws of a football or a baseball, you can reach the wall of Jerusalem. Okay, so you're on top of this little hill, this mount, and you're looking down the hill and the Garden of Gethsemane is here, but you can also see the wall of Jerusalem. So Jesus had come to the Mount of Olives and the beautiful thing is the Mount of Olives, whenever you take olives off the olive tree and you begin to press them, there would have been presses all around and they would have pressed the olives and the olives on olive press. You squeeze out the fruit, okay, and then the juices run out and you capture them, all right? So that's, that's what literally happens and those kind of things. So, but, so get that visual and then see this. So Jesus is on top of Mount Olives where they're pulling these olives. And if you look down, there's actually a path down Mount Olive that curves back and forth that's extremely steep. So if you have bad knees or ankles, you're probably going to want to take the bus around. All right, and it goes down to the Garden of Gethsemane. So Jesus is being pressed out. He knows that he's getting ready to go to the cross, okay? And so he's giving this visual to his people of, look, we're on the mountains, and the olive is being plucked, and it's about to be pressed, and the fruit of my life is going to run down to the Garden of Gethsemane, and change is going to happen as we enter into Jerusalem. So his disciples, I don't know if they get it, But Jesus is drawing a picture. When they look back, they're like, oh, that was good. Because Jesus is saying, listen, I am the olive being plucked and I'm going to be pressed and my life is running as I go to the garden. Okay, you got me? So they went to the olive grove called Gethsemane and Jesus said, sit here while I go and pray. And he's got his buddies, James, John, Peter with him. And he became deeply troubled and distressed. Now, what I want want you to capture here is we... 
a lot of times focus in on the divinity or the godship of Jesus. This is a moment where we get to see the humanity of Jesus. And so he was deeply troubled and distressed, literally means terrified to the point of disorientation. See, he's Mount Olives, Olives getting pressed and he knows he's getting crushed and he knows that the fruit of his life, he's going to be broken to the point of death. He sees it. He knows it. And so because of the reality of what he sees ahead, he's so troubled that he gets to the point of disorientation. Have you ever been there? Have you been so burdened that you're disoriented by what's happening? The humanity of Jesus is real. He told them, Peter, James, and John, he says, My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. My soul is overwhelmed. Jesus knew that at his crushing moment, it's the thing that he feared most. And it wasn't the physical part of the cross. What he feared most was he understood that all of history, throughout history, every person's sin was about to be on his shoulders. They were all about to become his burden for us. Every murder, every stolen item, every prideful thought, every gossipy lip, everything was going to be on him. So his soul was in the midst of grief, terrified to the point of disorientation. And he went on a little further and fell to the ground. And this fell to the ground is actually a, in a tense where it's a continual action. Okay, So he fell to the ground, but he continued to fall to the ground. And every time that he would fall to the ground, he was praying, if it were possible, the awful hour awaiting that it might pass him by. So here the humanity of Jesus is he understands that he's about to get crushed. He's about to be pressed out and the fruit of his life is about to give us life to the fullness. But that he doesn't want to go through the pain and agony of the separation because he's never been separated from the father. And so in that moment, he's falling, he's taking a step and he's overwhelmed with grief for that separation that he falls And he prays and he stands up and he takes another step and he falls. He's so weak that he continues to fall. It's just this moment of surrendering his will for the fathers. He's fighting the fear of the unknown and the suffering and being separated from dad. The crushing. It's one of those moments that we get a glimpse of the humanity of Jesus and that we see in that moment that he's robbed of The peace and the confidence because of that moment of separation that's coming. And we see what he is going to do for us, the bridge that he's willing to cross for us, but it's hard ask. Then he returned and he found his disciples asleep. Your friends ever done that? You ever feel like you've shared something deep and your friends are like, they don't get it? Yeah, maybe. Peter, James, and John, they don't know what's ahead and they're like, they come back and Jesus is like, they're asleep. And I mean, Peter's got his little iPhone app and he's checking for snoring and how well he's sleeping. And Peter, Jesus walks up and says, Simon, are you asleep? (coughs) Yeah. Right? I mean, it's obvious. Couldn't you watch with me even one 
hour. Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Then Jesus left them again. He went back to praying and falling and weeping and asking. And he prayed the same prayer. Father, Father, if there's any other way but this. And we turned to them again. He found them sleeping. They still didn't get it. For they couldn't keep their eyes open. And they didn't know what to say. We've been there, haven't we? Someone that we love, someone that we care, that they've in the midst of a situation in life that's overwhelming. And they share something or you're in that moment with them and you're like, I don't have anything. Can I tell you that 99% of the time you don't need to have anything to say. You just need to be present. Just be present. Don't be asleep. Be present. Because, you know, I've, I've been holding the hand of people when they're literally dying. What do you say? I'm a pastor. I'm, I'm supposed to know the deep theological truths of there's greener pastures. There's whatever those things are. And I'm like, there's nothing to say to other than to just be present and to hold a hand and to be there. That's the beauty of community. As in some of the most difficult moments of life, words don't have to be spoken because we're there for each other. We're one another. It's in those moments that we're the family. It's in those moments that we're the body. It's in those moments that the church of Christ is being built up because we're just there and not asleep. When he returned to them the third time, he said, go ahead and sleep. He kind of just kind of gave up. Have your rest. But in the midst of that conversation, again, the garden, it's a private garden. He would have been there consistently, been the only people that would have known that that was his place would have been his disciples. And so all of a sudden he hears a clamor, he hears some stuff going on, and he says, no, he can see. No, no, the time has come. Because he's hearing them. The Son of Man is being betrayed. About to be betrayed in the hands of the sinners. Up. Let's get going. Look. There's Judas. My betrayer's here. Now it's interesting to think about that the third time he comes back and now he's like, you can rest. So what has transpired in Jesus' heart, what's transpired in his mind and the humanity of him that now he's like, it's kind of like, okay, now I'm ready to go. I think a couple of things. One is he's named his fear, right? He's, he, he knows that it's fear. He's named it. It's the separation of the Father. He understands it as in, in the human peace, and then he's prayed it out. And that he's prayed it out. And I think that's one of the things that we struggle with is that we can sometimes name our fear or name the things, the burdens that we're carrying, but we don't really pray it out. We don't understand the struggle and what takes place in prayer that allows God's heart and our heart to then beat as one. So there may be moments where our agenda and his agenda don't line up. And in prayer, God transforms our heart and our mind and soul to walk to some of the different things that we have to walk through. And to know that we're not walking alone. He's walking with us, but it's still the path that he wants us to go. And then the struggle of surrendering that happens in prayer.
And then he also, even though it seems like that his disciples didn't quite get it, he shared it with them. He invited them into it to share the burdens. Our friends may not always understand our burdens, but inviting them in, our true friends, okay, those that can know us and still love us and not tell everybody else about it and use it against us, those friends, by inviting them in and voicing it out, is a part of allowing us to overcome and to walk in it. See this cool picture? These are two guys. This is taken in Damascus in 1899. The young guy on the back, his name is Samar. The guy carrying Samar, his name is Muhammad. And so Samar is a Christian. Muhammad is a Muslim. So if you understand, in 1899 in Damascus, they should have been enemies, okay? But they're walking together and obviously doing life together. Samir is a little bit shorter, and actually his legs don't work. And so for him to get to do the things that he would like to do and to experience life to its fuller, he needs Muhammad. But Muhammad is blind. So Muhammad don't know where to go unless Samir is on his back telling him where to go. So these two orphans, as young men, found each other and figured out that the best way to do life is together. Two that are supposed to be enemies now work and live together. And people always, like Samir and Muhammad, it's like one name. And I'm like, man, this is church. Because some of us, we can't walk sometimes. Sometimes we're in a season of blindness, but others can see because they've walked through it and know that there's hope on the other end. And so for Samir and Muhammad to do life, they would go to the same cafe day after day. And Samir was a storyteller and he would still tell the stories of a thousand nights. And to hold people beholden with the stories. And Muhammad would be the one with the cup to receive payment. The two were one. Well, one day Muhammad had stepped away for a little bit and stepped back into the room that they shared. And Samir had passed away. And the grief that overwhelmed Muhammad for two weeks couldn't eat. He couldn't sleep. He's like, my brother is gone. My other half is gone. And when people are like, you're supposed to be enemies. He's like, no, we're one. And man, that is the church. When we get it to share each other's burdens, to care for each other's burdens and to begin to share them on a level of where two become one. Our world and our culture will be like, man, you're supposed to be enemies. Like, no. We're for Jesus. So to carry each other's burdens, you have to share them. And we're in a culture of self-sufficiency, right? Only the strong survive. Tough it out. Big kids don't cry. Keep a stiff upper lip. When the tough gets going, the... Going and stuff, there you go. All right, and let's, let's admit it, man. I mean, friendships are hard. I think even, I mean, I know for guys for sure, but for everyone, authentic friendships are difficult. It's just not something we're, we're, we're able to do because we've been hurt, all the different things that happen. And one of the reasons authentic friendships are hard is because we, if we share who we really are, people might think less of us. 
and we've built up an image. We worked really hard at our selfies. And now if they get to really know us, they're like, I don't know. Or they might make fun of us if you've ever had that happen. Or this would never happen at church. But maybe they would use it against us. And so we have three pretty big things, reasons for not pursuing authentic friendships that we just kind of go about and doing. And the risk of not telling others, though, is loneliness. And we are in all the little scientists of all the different kinds right now are telling us we're the most connected world ever, but we're the most lonely ever. I mean, y'all know it. We don't have to talk about it. But we've learned how to put on masks for the different social settings, for the different roles that we play. And we get confused even. What I call split personality, you've got to keep up with who you are, where you're at, to tell the different stories that you tell yourself and tell others. So that you can find a place to feel loved and valued for a moment. But that you go from place to place to place and never truly being known by someone. And knowing that someone knows me and loves me in spite of my messiness. Paul dealt with it in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The burdens of Paul where he's like, hey, three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. And again, the this, this struggle, the surrender of prayer we see in Paul and in Jesus. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses. How many of y'all sign up for that? I'm going to just tell everybody about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me or through us. That's why I take pleasure in my weakness and in my insults and the hardships and the persecutions and the troubles that I suffer in Christ. For when I am weak, I'm strong. Because I'm known. I can do things and be involved in things for Christ because I am known. Having the ability to be our true self is a gift. Why? Because God uses broken things. It's a gift to know that other people walk in similar roads. It's a gift to understand that this is who I am and this is my true self and I don't have to pretend to be others because I find my value and worth not here but here. And my identity is in Him. And that that influences here. I mean, broken things produce crops, right? The soil has to be broken to produce a crop. The grains have to be broken to produce bread. The clouds have to be broken to produce rain. God's best work is done in broken people and in broken things. The deal is for us to acknowledge our brokenness and surrender so that he can do the healing to shine the light. None of us would go to the doctor and spend hundreds of thousands of dollars, whatever it costs to go to the doctor these days. Do you know it cost me $3,000 to get a COVID test? That's a side note. Put that on the side. It costs a lot of money. I don't know why. God's best work is done in broken people. And then what happens, the reason that can happen is because we surrender to the brokenness. What does that look like for us to allow healing to happen. It does in the midst of our sharing of our burdens and our weakness, but it's only possible if we're true and open with each other. All right. So that's why I take pleasure in my weakness. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I don't know why I thought about that COVID thing. Sorry. 
One of my favorite people is Benjamin Franklin. Y'all heard of him? He has a great phrase. He says, three people can be trusted if two of them are dead. In other words, if there's three people together, two of them are dead. Or maybe you've heard this phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but never hurt me. And we know that that is not true, right? When someone shares the burdens, I want you to get this. We're on holy ground. Listen, we're in a small town. We get it. But for us to share the depths of our souls, the things that terrify us to the point of disorientation, our lips have to be shut. Not to be used against anyone, not to be talk about anyone, but to receive it and understand that's a gift that someone's giving you to share it, to be able to share that. Even in, see that in Jesus' life, it impacted his ministry in Mark 1. Don't tell anyone about this. Jesus had just healed a leper, okay? Instead, go to the priests and let them examine you. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who have been healed by leprosy. Now, listen, he's been a leper. When he goes to the temple, number one, he hasn't been able to go to the temple because he's unclean. And now he's not a leper. He's physically on the outside. His burden has been gone. So now he goes to the temple. He doesn't have to tell anyone. Everyone that knows him knows his burden's gone. Okay? And so... The fact that he has to go do that, that's the public testimony. It'll be a public testimony that you are cleansed. Just go to the temple and the word would spread. But the man went and spread the word. He gossiped. Now, obviously, we know that he would be excited, right? So it's kind of like fighting against it. But proclaiming to everyone what had happened. As a result, large crowds soon surrounded Jesus and he couldn't publicly enter a town anywhere. He had to stay out in secluded places, but people from everywhere kept coming to him. Here's how we translate that to LaGrange, Texas, 2020. You go to H-E-B, and you get your cart, and it takes you. You see a lot of people, but nobody talks to you. Or you see a lot of people and no one talks about you. know that they know that they know that they know, right? You know what I mean? And so you can't go where you want to go. So if you have your Bibles, just make a note. James 3, we see that the tongue is a wicked tool. It brings blessing and it brings curses. And it starts fires. And many times we start fires because we just want to share. We just want to sprinkle a little bit of what we know. And God says, listen, you are to be to one another to carry totes together. And to be able to carry the toad of another one. That moment when someone opens up and shares who they are. That's holy ground. And if you're going to tell anybody anything, you're going to say, I have found a friend that I can do life with. Not, here's what I need you to know about somebody. The validation comes from the depths of a true friendship, not from what you know. So holy ground, my friends. I pray this week you find holy ground with some people. That you can carry the burdens of others and that they entrust with you the ability to share. And you can stop and pick up a tote and walk together. And carry the water of life together. And to know that that's a big part of the good news in the gospel of Jesus. is not that I'm perfect, not that I'm arrived, but together through Christ we have found unity in him. And that there may be all these other things that divide us, but in him I find Christ. 
Let's pray together. Father, I know that many of us desire true friendships, authentic friendships, so we can be truly who we are. I pray that I know that some in this room have found them and rejoice in them and rejoice in the freedom that they found in you because of the freedom they found in real friends. Father, I pray that those in this room that don't have that, that they would find that, that they would seek that out, that they would be that. That maybe we don't have friends because we're not understanding of the holy ground of friendship. So, Father, I pray we would just allow you to shine the light on that for us. Are we a friend? Can we be a friend? Can we be the person that can be a carrier of heavy weights? Father, if we don't have that, maybe we need to find someone. Maybe hand over some pebbles and see how they do. Father, for us as receivers of that, may we receive the pebbles and the rocks of friendship and not throw them back, but set them down and say, let's walk this together. Thank you that your son was pressed out on the cross and surrendered everything for us. Father, we love you. We praise you as King of kings and Lord of lords. So we leave this morning here in a few minutes. Father, may we be pressed out. And know that others are walking with us. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Cross Point Community Church Podcast. It is our prayer that this message was encouraging to you as you follow Jesus. For more about Cross Point Community Church, you can find us online at crosspointchurchtx.org. Have a great week.